the Bible, the most unique book in all of human history. It claims to be divine in origin, and it delivers a message that, if true, affects every human being on the planet Earth, in this life, and in whatever awaits us when this life is over. The Bible is unique in its survival. Over the past 2,000 years, no other book has been subjected to the intense scrutiny that the Bible has endured. Generations of linguists, historians, and archaeologists have explored the details of the Bible's production and tested the accuracy of its transmission to us today. Critics and foes have come and gone. Problems have been raised and solved, and still the Bible stands. Totally alone in the degree of its historical accuracy and reliability, The Bible is also unique in foretelling future events. The Old Testament alone contains over 2,000 specific predictions about people, cities, nations, and empires. Predictions made hundreds of years before being perfectly fulfilled in history. The Bible is unique in its influence. It's been called the fountainhead of Western civilization and is by far the most quoted text in America's founding documents. Millions of men, women, and children from every station and walk of life have felt the liberating, redeeming power of this book of books, and their changed lives have changed the world and the course of history. The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar is your opportunity to hear this unique book, the entire Bible, every year. Now, here's the host of The Bible Live, Soapy Dollar. Thank you, Kevin Bell, for getting us on the air tonight. My good friend Russ LePage sitting in the engineer chair tonight, helping to bring to you the Bible live on the radio. We are changing books tonight. As we finished up the Christmas season, we have just completed the book of Matthew. Every year we start with the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, and Leviticus in November. And then toward the end of December, we move to the Gospel of Matthew, just in time for Christmas as our focus and our attention changes and we turn in a more concerted way, in a more specific way, to the life of Jesus the Messiah. Now, as I remind you, often the Messiah is the main character. He is the main focus in every book of the Bible, not just the New Testament. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, each of those books are telling us something about God and is telling us about his redemptive plan wrapped up in this one, the righteous branch. As early as Genesis chapter 3, right after the fall of Adam and Eve and the human race falling under the condemnation and judgment of sin, we see God telling Adam and Eve about the coming Messiah, a human male that would crush the works of Satan and destroy them. A general prophecy, but there it is, telling us about one who would come to crush and destroy the work of Satan, which was, of course, to lie and deceive and rob from Adam and Eve that precious relationship with God. God is going to send a Redeemer to reconcile men, sinful men and women, reconcile us to God the Father. That's our first hint, but all through the Old Testament, over 300 times, the Messiah is predicted, described, foreshadowed. We're told very clearly what to expect. And of course, if the people of the time of Jesus had been reading their Bible and understood it, they would have recognized the Messiah. Some of them, of course, did. We're going to read the book of Numbers tonight, Numbers and Deuteronomy. But before we get into that, let's go to our Wisdom and Worship segment, back to the Psalms of David, a prayer when surrounded by trouble or wickedness. God is our only real source of safety. Psalm 28. O Lord, you are my rock of safety. 
Please help me. Don't refuse to answer me, for if you are silent, I might as well give up and die. Listen to my prayer for mercy as I cry out to you for help, as I lift my hands toward your holy sanctuary. Don't drag me away with the wicked, with those who do evil, those who speak friendly words to their neighbors while planning evil in their hearts. Give them the punishment they so richly deserve. Measure it out in proportion to their wickedness. Pay them back for all their evil deeds. Give them a taste of what they have done to others. They care nothing for what the Lord has done or for what His hands have made, so He will tear them down like old buildings, and they will never be rebuilt. Praise the Lord, for He has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord is my strength, my shield from every danger. I trust in Him with all my heart. He helps me, and my heart is filled with joy. I burst out in songs of thanksgiving. The Lord protects His people and gives victory to His anointed King. Save your people. Bless Israel, your special possession. Lead them like a shepherd and carry them forever in your arms. End of reading, Psalm 28. in ways we cannot see he will make a way for me you're listening to the bible live with soapy dollar hold me closely to his side with love and strength for each new day he will make a way that is the truth he is faithful to make a way you know i have some friends who have had children this time of the year, younger friends, of course. <laughs> I just love to see those parents with their eyes dark and sleepy. Those sleepless nights as the child learns to sleep through the night. Every parent knows the shrill whine of a young child, that slow, high-pitched complaint that grates on the eardrums. Maybe you heard some of this at stores this Christmas as moms and dads had their children out with them. That grating sound aggravates the soul, actually. Well, the tone of the voice is difficult to bear, but the real irritation is the underlying cause, the discontentment, the complaining attitude. Well, as the people of Israel now are journeying from the foot of Mount Sinai to the land of Canaan, they grumbled, whined, complained at every turn. They focus on their present discomforts instead of looking forward to what God had in store for them, the new land, the promised land, a new beginning. Faith had fled, and as a result of this, they added an extra 40 years to their trip. Numbers now records this tragic story of Israel's unbelief. It should serve as a dramatic lesson for all of us. As it begins, the nation of Israel is still camped at the foot of Mount Sinai. The people have received God's laws, and they're preparing to move. A census is taken. That's where the book gets its name. The two times at the beginning and end of the book when a census is taken to determine the number of men fit for military service. And next, the people are set apart for God, a time of dedication. Both spiritually and physically, God is preparing the people to receive their inheritance. But then the complaining begins. First, the people complain about the food. Next, it's Moses' authority. He punished some of the people, God does, but he spares the nation because of Moses' prayers. Then we watch them as they fail the test. They do not have the faith to go into the promised land. So let's learn all we can now from the people of Israel, faith and no faith, and the results of both. Numbers chapter 1, verse 1 through 326. Numbers 1. 
One day in mid-spring, during the second year after Israel's departure from Egypt, the Lord spoke to Moses in the tabernacle in the wilderness of Sinai. He said, Take a census of the whole community of Israel by their clans and families. List the names of all the men 20 years old or older who are able to go to war. You and Aaron are to direct the project, assisted by one family leader from each tribe. These are the tribes and the names of the leaders chosen for the task. For the tribe of Reuben, the leader was Elizur, son of Shadur. For the tribe of Simeon, the leader was Shelomiel, son of Jerishadai. For the tribe of Judah, the leader was Nashon, son of Aminadab. For the tribe of Issachar, Nethanel, son of Zuar. The tribe of Zebulun, the leader was Eliab, son of Helon. The tribe of Ephraim, son of Joseph, the leader was Elishama, son of Amihud. The tribe of Manasseh, son of Joseph, the leader was Gamaliel, son of Pedajur. For the tribe of Benjamin, the leader was Abidan, son of Gideoni. For the tribe of Dan, the leader was Ahiezer, son of Amishadai. For the tribe of Asher, the leader was Pagiel, son of Okran. For the tribe of Gad, the leader was Eliasaf, son of Duel. And for the tribe of Naphtali, the leader was Ahira, son of Enan. These tribal leaders, heads of their own families, were chosen from among all the people. Now Moses and Aaron and the chosen leaders called together the whole community of Israel on that very day. All the people were registered according to their ancestry by their clans and families. The men of Israel, twenty years old or older, were registered one by one, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. So Moses counted the people there in the wilderness of Sinai. This is the number of men, twenty years old or older, who were able to go to war, each listed according to his own clan and family. For the tribe of Reuben, Jacob's oldest son, there were 46,500. For the tribe of Simeon, 59,300. The tribe of Gad, 45,650. The tribe of Judah, 74,600. The tribe of Issachar, 54,400. The tribe of Zebulun, 57,400. The tribe of Ephraim, son of Joseph, 40,500. The tribe of Manasseh, son of Joseph, 32,200. The tribe of Benjamin, 35,400. The tribe of Dan, 62,700. The tribe of Asher, 41,500. And the tribe of Naphtali, 53,400. These were the men counted by Moses and Aaron and the twelve leaders of Israel, all listed according to their ancestral descent. They were counted by families, all the men of Israel who were twenty years old or older and able to go to war. The total number was 603,550. But this total did not include the Levites. For the Lord had said to Moses, Exempt the tribe of Levi from the census. Do not include them when you count the rest of the Israelites. You must put the Levites in charge of the tabernacle of the covenant, along with its furnishings and equipment. They must carry the tabernacle and its equipment as you travel, and they must care for it and camp around it. Whenever the tabernacle is moved, the Levites will take it down and set it up again. Anyone else who goes too near the tabernacle will be executed. Each tribe of Israel will have a designated camping area with its own family banner. But the Levites will camp around the tabernacle of the covenant to offer the people of Israel protection from the Lord's fierce anger. The Levites are responsible to stand guard around the tabernacle. So the Israelites did everything just as the Lord had commanded Moses. You're listening to the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Numbers 2 Then the Lord gave these instructions to Moses and Aaron. Each tribe will be assigned its own area in the camp, and the various groups will camp beneath their family banners. The tabernacle will be located at the center of these tribal compounds. The divisions of Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun are to camp toward the sunrise on the east side of the tabernacle, beneath their family banners. 
These are the names of the tribes, their leaders, and the numbers of their available troops. The tribe of Judah, the leader was Nashon, son of Aminadab, and the number of troops was 74,600. For Issachar, the leader was Nathanael, son of Zuar, and the number was 54,400. And the tribe of Zebulun, the leader was Eliab, son of Helon, and the number of available troops was 57,400. So the total of all the troops on Judah's side of the camp is 186,400. These three tribes are to lead the way whenever the Israelites travel to a new campsite. The divisions of Reuben, Simeon, and Gad are to camp on the south side of the tabernacle beneath their family banners. These are the names of the tribes, their leaders, and the number of their available troops. The tribe of Reuben, the leader was Elizur, son of Shedur, and the number of troops was 46,500. For Simeon, there was Shelomiel, son of Jerishadai, 59,300. And for the tribe of Gad, there was Eliasaph, son of Duel, 45,650. So the total of all the troops on Reuben's side of the camp is 151,450. These three tribes will be second in line whenever the Israelites travel. Then the Levites will set out from the middle of the camp with the tabernacle. All the tribes are to travel in the same order that they camp, each in position under the appropriate family banner. The divisions of Ephraim, Manasseh, and Benjamin are to camp on the west side of the tabernacle beneath their family banners. These are the names of the tribes, their leaders, and the number of their available troops. For Ephraim, there was Elishama, son of Amihut, 40,500. For the tribe of Manasseh, there was Gamaliel, son of Pedazur. 32,200. And for Benjamin, there was Abidan, son of Gideoni, 35,400. So the total of all the troops on Ephraim's side of the camp is 108,100, and they will follow the Levites in the line of march. The divisions of Dan, Asher, and Naphtali are to camp on the north side of the tabernacle beneath their family banners. These are the names of the tribes, their leaders, and the number of their available troops. The tribe of Dan was led by Ahiezer, son of Amishadai, 62,700 troops. Asher was led by Pagiel, son of Okran, 41,500. Naphtali was led by Ahira, son of Enan, 53,400 troops. So the total of all the troops on Dan's side of the camp is 157,600. They are to bring up the rear whenever the Israelites move to a new campsite. In summary, the troops of Israel listed by their families totaled 603,550. The Levites were exempted from this census by the Lord's command to Moses. So the people of Israel did everything just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Each clan and family set up camp and marched under their banners exactly as the Lord had instructed them. You're listening to the Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Numbers 3. This is the family line of Aaron and Moses as it was recorded when the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai. Aaron's sons were Nadab the firstborn, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. They were anointed and set apart to minister as priests. But Nadab and Abihu died in the Lord's presence in the wilderness of Sinai, when they burned before the Lord a different kind of fire than he had commanded. Since they had no sons, this left only Eleazar and Ithamar to serve as priests with their father Aaron. Then the Lord said to Moses, Call forward the tribe of Levi and present them to Aaron the priest as his assistants. They will serve Aaron and the whole community, performing their sacred duties in and around the tabernacle. They will also maintain all the furnishings of the sacred tent, serving in the tabernacle on behalf of all the Israelites. Assign the Levites to Aaron and his sons as their assistants. Appoint Aaron and his sons to carry out the duties of the priesthood. Anyone else who comes too near the sanctuary must be executed. And the Lord said to Moses, 
I have chosen the Levites from among the Israelites as substitutes for all the firstborn sons of the people of Israel. The Levites are mine, because all the firstborn sons are mine. From the day I killed all the firstborn sons of the Egyptians, I set apart for myself all the firstborn in Israel of both men and animals. They are mine. I am the Lord. The Lord spoke again to Moses there in the wilderness of Sinai. He said, Take a census of the tribe of Levi by its families and clans. Count every male who is one month old or older. So Moses counted them just as the Lord had commanded. Levi had three sons who were named Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. The clans descended from Gershon were named for two of his descendants, Libni and Shimei. The clans descended from Kohath were named for four of his descendants, Amram, Ishar, Hebron, and Usiel. The clans descended from Merari were named for two of his descendants, Mali and Mushi. These were the Levite clans listed according to their family groups. The descendants of Gershon were composed of the clans descended from Libni and Shimei. There were 7,500 males, one month old or older, among these Gershonite clans. They were assigned the area to the west of the tabernacle for their camp. The leader of the Gershonite clans was Elisaph, son of Lael. These two clans were responsible to care for the tent of the tabernacle with its layers of coverings, its entry curtains, the curtains of the courtyard that surrounded the tabernacle and altar, the curtain at the courtyard entrance, the cords, and all the equipment related to their use. End of reading, Numbers 1, 1 through 326. You're listening to The Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. The book of Numbers, given its name because of this census that is taken, both at the beginning and you'll see later at the end of the book of Numbers, another census is taken as well as the people of Israel move to go back into the land of Canaan the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Something we can't forget is that the people of Israel came out of Egypt to go into the promised land. In other words, coming out of Egypt was not the end of the journey. That was only the beginning. They came out so they could go in. The same thing is true of our spiritual lives. We are brought out of our slavery and our bondage to sin and self. We are bought out of that. I said bought. You're exactly right. We have been purchased redeemed. The debt has been paid on our behalf, so we have been brought and bought out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. We have been brought out so that we can go into our promised land. This is all spoken of clearly in the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. It talks about not everyone that came out goes into the promised land. Not everyone that comes out goes in because of their sin and their rebellion, or they're unable because of their ignorance and not paying attention, they are unwilling, unable to go into the promised land. The same thing happens to many believers. We're trusting Christ for the forgiveness of our sin, but we don't understand that God is with us, that God has planted himself in our midst to escort us to glory, to escort us into that place of rest, Resting from our works and our trying to jump through hoops and earn his approval, earn his acceptance. 
Instead, we need to rest from our labors. By faith, we receive our forgiveness, our cleansing, that status as being accepted. God is satisfied with us because of what Jesus the Messiah has done in our lives. There is a very clear lesson here for us as believers. Again, I mentioned that the book of Hebrews brings that out very, very clearly. We have been brought out of bondage to sin so that we can go into our inheritance, the people of God, living by faith and trust and experiencing all that God has for us. That is the role of the Holy Spirit. Just as the tabernacle is planted here in the midst of the people of Israel, In this opening chapter, the people are divided into these four groups on the basis of their tribal ancestry. The tabernacle, representing the presence of God, is right in the middle of the nation. In the same way, God has planted himself in our midst by his Holy Spirit. On the basis of the work of Messiah, we have been cleansed and redeemed and brought out of Egypt. Now God's Spirit dwells within each one of us. And I say this over and over again, and I hope you understand it. When the Bible talks about We are indwelt by the Spirit of God, and an unbelievable privilege that we have. The Old Testament believers did not have that experience. They did not have that assurance and promise. The Spirit of God came upon them, and at times he would move from them. As the Spirit of God left Saul, for example, and David prayed, Take not your Holy Spirit from me. For New Testament believers, though, we are indwelt by God's Spirit from the time of new birth, and we never lose that relationship. The Holy Spirit is there to escort us to glory. Now, this is about 1,450 years before Messiah comes, 1,450 years B.C. They will spend till 1,410, those 40 years now, in the wilderness. But we open tonight with the people still camped at the base of Mount Sinai. Now, this must have been one of the hugest campsites you can imagine. It would have taken, I'm thinking about 12 square miles. But frankly, I always think about the size of San Antonio. We're talking of upwards of 2 million people. There are tents here for 600,000. We just saw the census, 600,000 fighting men. 20 years old and older. That is not counting the younger men and, of course, the women in the nation. So you have somewhere around 2 million people. This is a huge campsite. I'm thinking about the size of San Antonio, perhaps a little smaller, a little more condensed as they live in tents and so on. But Moses must have had a difficult time managing such a group. And of course, you remember Jethro, his father-in-law, giving him that idea of delegating authority and responsibility to men who would meet the needs of people further down the line. Moses very wisely took that advice. Now, in the early stages of the journey and at the base of Mount Sinai, the people were generally obedient to both God and Moses. They had their moments, of course. You remember the golden calf. But when the people leave Mount Sinai and they begin to travel across the rugged wilderness, they start complaining and disobeying. Problems erupt, and Moses can no longer effectively manage this huge population. Now, the books of Exodus, Leviticus, and now we're in the book of Numbers, they present a striking contrast, a chance for us to compare how much we can accomplish when we obey God and walk with God and how little we can accomplish when we don't. We should remember that as a nation, even now, We are in a terrible economic mess right now, and of course they are making it worse. They are going to prolong the terrible economic problems of our nation because they are making all the wrong decisions, uh, even economically. Spiritually, we are not walking with God. Neither our president nor our nation's leaders 
So many give lip service to God, if even if they do that. So many are openly rejecting of God and his design for our lives and his plan. Our president, as is our vice president, standing for practices and policies that go against the instructions that God gives to us in his word. We will see the same problems as a society, as a people, only when we turn away from our sins, not only us individually, but broadly across the nation. We must turn away from the wickedness, especially the killing of innocent children, abortion, our fascination and our obsession with immorality and sexual sins, broken homes and broken marital vows and so on. These will cause us such incredible problems. And we'll see those as we watch the people of Israel. A clear lesson to us, I believe, from the Scriptures. When you think about Moses trying to give leadership to this group of people, this is a huge ordeal. There were 603,550 men 20 years old and older, the total of the different tribes in the census. That did not count the Levites, nor did it count the women and children. The total population must have been, as I said, up to or perhaps even a little bit more than 2 million Israelites. This grew out of Jacob's family of 70 over 400 years before God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he would make of them a great nation, and he did. 400 years is plenty of time to grow into a very large people group. They were able to survive in the wilderness here because God miraculously provides This is a miracle of God's blessing on this people. And this census is very important because they are now looking at the task of entering into the promised land. And they needed to count and find out how many uh, finding men they have. In addition, the tribes had to be organized to determine the amount of land that each tribe would need. They would need genealogical records. Remember, there are lots of people who are not of the people of Israel. They are foreigners among them. Without a census, the task of conquering and organizing the promised land would have been far more difficult. In the same way, as we approach the new year, we talk about New Year's resolutions, and we talk about getting ready for a whole new year of experiences, investment, job, and career, and studies, and all the different things that we have to do. And so the new year is a good time for us to take a census as well, take an evaluation of our lives determine who we are, how much we have, what are the resources we have that we can present to the Lord. We can plan what we can do in our life and in our ministries in the year that is coming up. It is a great book for us to be reading at this time of the year. I like the way these two readings tonight fit together. The reading about the people of Israel as they now look forward to taking this incredible step of faith to move out from under Mount Sinai, to march a couple of weeks' journey up to the land of Canaan and enter into the Promised Land. One of the adventure, what a tremendous risk. It would mean war, but God is with them. See, they must know that. And then you hear this prayer of David talking about when people are surrounded by trouble or wickedness, God is our only resource, our only place of safety. We have to learn that, my good friends. If you are out there without God tonight, I encourage you to seek His face. He will be found when you seek Him with all your heart. Bible Live with Soapy Dollar. Soapy reads from the New Living Translation by Kendall House Publishers. 
The Bible Live is dedicated to helping promote spiritual revival across America, and your prayers and financial support are needed. Please mail your tax-deductible gift to The Bible Live, Post Office Box 18888. That's The Bible Live, P.O. Box 18888, San Antonio, Texas, 78218. You may also make credit card donations at the ministry website, thebiblelive.com. Now don't forget, join us each weekday for the Bible Live with Soapy Dollars. Start today and in one year's time we will read and respond together to the entire Bible. Let the most important word you hear each day be God's word.